Heavenly Father, we ask that you would send the Holy Spirit to us now so that we would learn your righteous laws and praise you with upright hearts. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. This morning we continue our series in the book of Philippians and the Apostle Paul has been speaking about himself quite extensively uh, for the first part of chapter 1 and that's because he's writing to a church that loves him dearly. The church in Philippi has been a great support to the Apostle Paul and they want to know how he's going and particularly how the prison term that he's in at the moment is going and so he's been speaking about his response to that prison term and how he continues to rejoice even in the midst of suffering and now he's switching in verse 27 to speak about the church in Philippi itself. So he's no longer going to speak about himself, he's going to speak about how the the Philippians should be conducting themselves. And so what does he want them to do? Well, we look in verse 27, after speaking about how he is going to remain in the body for their enjoyment and for their progress in the faith, in verse 25, in verse 27 he says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. He wants the church in Philippi to conduct themselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, what does that mean? Well, the word, the Greek word that we've uh, translated there as conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, uh, it's actually a word that we, it's a Greek word that we get our English word politics from. And so you could actually translate this, uh, this word here in verse 27 as live as citizens, live as citizens. There's a very strong idea here that the Apostle Paul is bringing to, the, to the, his readers, to the church in Philippi. He wants to focus on their citizenship. Now, why does the Apostle Paul speak about citizenship? Why does he choose that Greek word, which is translated as conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel? Why does he focus on citizenship when he writes to the church in Philippi? Well, the Philippians were known for their their joy in the fact that they were Roman citizens. The, the, uh, the, The city of Philippi was actually a Roman colony. So if you think of the 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 Roman Empire, of course, you've got Rome itself, which is in Italy, but then, of course, they've conquered uh, the other nations and they've actually colonised. They've put little cities uh, or taken over a city and put a lot of their own citizens in that place. And Rome and and the, the city of Philippi had an awful lot of Roman citizens in it. And so you had people there who were not conquered... Uh, uh, nationals from another country by Rome. No, these were people who loved the fact that they were Romans in the town of Philippi, in the city of Philippi. And we see the high regard that people had for Roman citizenship in Acts chapter 16. Turn back with me to Acts chapter 16, which we read when we first started our series in Philippians, which speaks of Paul when he is in Philippi. And so there's quite a lengthy uh, treatment there given of his interactions with people in, in Philippi. And we read that he is arrested and put in jail. And then we have this lovely story of the Philippian jailer becoming a Christian. And then the Philippian jailer comes to the Apostle Paul and tells him he's free to go in verse 36. Oh, but I'll read from verse 35. Uh, Acts chapter 16, if you've got a Black Church Bible, that's page 1097. Acts chapter 16, page 1097, we'll read from verse 35. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave, go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens and threw us into prison. And now do they want to get rid of us quietly? 
No, let them come themselves and escort us out. The officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house where they met with the brothers and encouraged them. Then they left. See how the Apostle Paul pulls out his Roman citizenship in this city. Other cities may have actually been, even if they're part of the Roman Empire, and there's not many Roman citizens in that city, they may actually still be quite hostile to Rome, even though they're a conquered city. And so they don't care that Paul is a Roman citizen. But here in Philippi, there's a strong importance placed upon Roman citizenship. And the Apostle Paul knows this as he was there in Philippi. And he still knows it as he's writing to the church in Philippi in, while he's in prison. And so he's wanting the church in Philippi to consider their Roman citizenship but then to take their love for being Roman citizens and apply that to an even greater citizenship. What does he want the the church in Philippi to do? He wants them, in verse 27, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Be citizens, live as citizens, worthy of the gospel of Christ. The Apostle Paul is wanting the church in Philippi to consider another type of citizenship, What's that? Well, he wants them to consider that they are heavenly citizens. If we picture God's empire, we picture God's empire, it's a heavenly empire. It starts in heaven. But then what has God done? He has made little colonies of his heavenly empire here in a conquered world. Let's face it, this world is conquered. It does belong to God. Now, not everybody recognises that. But he has little colonies here in this world where people do affirm the heavenly citizenship, the heavenly nation. What are those little colonies? They're churches. They're churches. The church in Philippi is a little colony set up by heaven where people are proud of their citizenship of heaven. And so the Apostle Paul picks up on this idea for the Philippians of their love of their Roman citizenship and wants them to love even more their citizenship of heaven, and therefore do what? Conduct themselves in a manner worthy of that citizenship that they have from heaven. So what does that then mean? What does it mean to be a good citizen of heaven? What does it mean to be a good citizen to begin with? Well, the Apostle Paul goes on to expand what it looks like to conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. What does he then say in verse 27? Look with me now. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. What does it mean to be a good citizen? It means to stand as one with the other citizens of that nation. It means to unite with your fellow citizens. And when is such unity shown best? Well, it's when there's opposition, when there's war. When there's war, good citizens unite with the other citizens in opposing the enemy that has come against them. And you see this even in the translation here, uh, another translation, the ESV translation, when it says, contending as one man with the faith of the gospel, it actually is translated striving side by side. Striving side by side. This is what it means to be a good citizen. When the enemy comes, you stand as one man with everybody else and you contend against that enemy. You strive side by side with your fellow man. You think of a bad Australian citizen. What's a bad Australian citizen? 
Well, if we go to war, what does a bad Australian citizen do? He says, I'm in it for myself. I'm going to buy some guns. I'm going to go dig a bunker somewhere, make a little fortress, and I'm going to take care of me. I'm going to go off on my own. And why does he do that? Well, it's pride. What does he care for? He cares for number one, himself. And if I get involved with other people of this nation, as the enemy comes in, they'll just trip me up, they'll hurt me in some way, and I may endanger my life. Whereas what does a good citizen do if there's war? A good citizen bands with the other citizens and says, we'll fight the enemy together. We'll work together and save this nation from the enemy. So what does a bad heavenly citizen look like? What does a bad heavenly citizen look like? Well, he fights by himself, doesn't he? Just like we see a bad Australian citizen says, the enemy's come, I'm off on my own, I'm going to protect myself, I'm going to look after number one. So a bad heavenly citizen does that as well. He fights by himself. Why? Usually pride. Again, looking out for himself, and if I get involved with those other Christians, they'll just mess it up for me. I'm the best one to look after me. I don't need other citizens around me. They'll just muck it up in my fight with the enemy. Whereas a good heavenly citizen does what? A good heavenly citizen joins with other believers in the battle. He seeks out other citizens to make sure that the enemy doesn't overcome himself, but also other citizens that he loves dearly. So what's a good heavenly citizen look like? Well, he's someone who joins a local church. He finds a little colony, just like the, the, the city of Philippi was a colony of Rome. So we recognise that there's little colonies here on earth of the heavenly empire. And so the good citizen, the good heavenly citizen, he puts himself around other citizens. He finds a little colony to unite with. And how does he conduct himself as a good citizen, worthy of the gospel of Christ, the heavenly good news? Well, he joins in with that colony and pushes back against the enemy. How does he do that? Well, he contends with them, contends by testifying in baptism, that he is a Christian, like the other Christians. doesn't deny that he is a Christian. No, he affirms the Christian truths at his baptism. And then by taking the Lord's Supper, he continues to affirm that I belong to another land and I'm united by the blood and body of the Lord Jesus Christ. How else? Well, he contends for the gospel by hearing it preached, sitting under the preaching of God's word and affirming that's what you're doing now, even as you sit here this morning and you don't walk out, you don't stand up and say what you're saying is wrong up the front there. You're actually supporting, you're contending for the gospel as it is preached here this morning as a good citizen of heaven. Of course, you contend for the gospel by joining with others in prayer to the king as a good citizen, entreating the king for help. How else do we contend for the gospel as good citizens? Well, it's by speaking and exhorting other citizens to remain firm in the gospel, continuing to encourage them to trust in Jesus Christ. How else will we contend for the gospel? By giving finances so that other people can share the gospel, make it known so that push is, there's a pushback against the opposition to the gospel. And of course, we contend for the gospel by voting to support Christians in affirming the gospel, which is what we have a membership for here at Dremoyne Baptist Church. And it's not that flash sometimes to come to a members meeting and vote on things. We just had our AGM Friday night and the budget isn't particularly an exciting thing to hear about what we're going to do with this amount of money and what we're going to do with this amount of money. It's not necessarily exciting to hear about confessions and statements of faith. 
but it's contending for the gospel by voting yes, we're going to spend money to push back against the opposition. Yes, we're going to vote for a confession that clearly defines the good news as found in Jesus Christ. It's a contending for the gospel. And what else does a good citizen do? What else does a good citizen do? Well, he contends as one man with other Christians for the faith of the gospel, as we see there in verse 27. But also in verse 28, there's something else that explains what it means to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. What does it say in verse 28? Without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. Without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This word there that's translated, the Greek word there that's translated without being frightened, that word frightened, it's actually the word that's used for a panicking horse. You think of a horse that gets startled and suddenly rears up and panics and then dashes off, is out of there. And you think of the battle situation, you can think of horses. Of course, we don't use horses today in that way. Although, yeah, we've had horses, the mounted police start uh, being seen here in the streets of Sydney again. And you think of those horses and all it takes is a loud bang to go and suddenly the rider has no control of the horse, and the horse is off. That's what Paul is wanting you to picture as you think of good citizens and what they shouldn't do. They shouldn't panic. They shouldn't get frightened and dash off at the first sign of hostility when something frightens them. And so what does that mean for us as Christians? If we're to be good citizens and not panic... What does that mean? Well, you think of a bad citizen, a bad citizen of heaven who panics. What does that look like? Well, when someone sneers at a bad citizen and says, do you believe God is three and one at the same time? He panics. <gasps> I look like an idiot. Panics. Says, maybe I'll back down and not affirm that truth that is revealed in God's word. Or someone says, do you really believe hell exists? Do you really believe Satan exists? Do you believe Muslims aren't going to heaven? Do you believe that same-sex marriage is wrong? Do you really believe that? Do you believe in the resurrection of the dead? That people will come back to life one day and they sneer at you as they say it. What does a bad citizen do? He jumps like a startled horse and is off as quickly as he can go. He panics and runs away from other Christians. Whereas a good citizen does what? Well, he doesn't break rank. He doesn't break rank. He continues to affirm the truth with Christians. Why? Why does he behave as a good citizen? Why does he conduct himself in a manner worthy of the gospel? By contending as one man and not panicking. Why does he do that? Why does he unite with other Christians and joins a local church and is with them? Well, we get the reason in verse 28. Verse 28 begins without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. And then we read, this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved and that by God. Was the first reason given in the text as to why we should conduct ourselves as a, in a manner worthy of the gospel, contending as one man and not panicking, not being frightened in any way? Well, because it is a sign to the enemy that they will be destroyed. 
We see that in the Old Testament. We had that Old Testament reading from Joshua. And Joshua, he talks about how the promises have come to fulfillment and how the enemy has been destroyed by God. By them standing firm as a strong Israelite army, they have been able to conquer the nations as they came into the promised land. If they'd all divided up and gone their own way, they would not have conquered those nations. But they've been unified and been able to stand firm and therefore triumph over the enemy. And you saw the enemy actually started to realize that they were going to be destroyed. If you read the book of Joshua, they start to fear the Israelites as they're coming in because they see the unity of the Israelites. And they fear we're going to be destroyed. And so they try to amalgamate together and come out as one against the Israelites. But the unity of the Israelites is too great and they are able to conquer the land. And it's the same today. If the enemy sees fearless heavenly citizens, fearless Christians, that we don't back down at the slightest sneer, we don't panic like a startled horse when they start talking about same-sex marriage or three-in-one trinity, start talking about hell, we don't back down. It's a testimony to them, a sign to them that they will be destroyed one day. They can't overcome these Christians. They can't break them. Maybe there's something true here in Christianity. The enemy starts to think, maybe I should join their side, like Rahab did so many years ago. A formidable force, these Christians. Maybe I should go over to their side. That's one reason why we should conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel as good citizens uniting together. What's the other reason given in the text? Verse 28. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved but that you will be saved. It's a sign that the enemy, to the enemy that they are going to be destroyed. But if we are unified and conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel as good citizens and stand firm together and don't back down at the slightest sneer from the enemy, what does that do for us? It gives us an assurance that we will be saved. As we look around at the other Christians and we see the unity that we have and that they also believe in three in, with a God who is three in one, would they also believe that there is a resurrection of the dead? They also believe that hell exists. We're assured that we are saved, that this is the truth that we're, we're, we've got in our hands because we have this unity with other Christians. So here are the big reasons, some big reasons given in the Scripture as to why we should join a local church, a heavenly colony, and be a good citizen within that colony. Because if you're a bad citizen, what happens? Well, you do not contend well when the enemy comes along. You get frightened easily and panic if you're without other believers around you. What else happens? Well, unbelievers may beat you again and again in any contest that they have with you. And they won't be convinced that they'll be destroyed one day. They see that Christians are weak as water as if I'll be destroyed, when you see how quickly they fold. And you start to wonder if you will be saved. You start to lose that assurance of salvation because you see the enemy triumphing over you again and again and again. But you ask, will Christians really need to battle the enemy? Do we ever come against opposition? Yes, I can see how in the early days of the church and the Philippians there... They, of course, came up against opposition. It's the early days. Don't people just let us live today? Will we really experience hostility from others? Yes. What does verse 29 say? 
For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. The Apostle Paul met opposition. The Philippian church met opposition. It was granted to them not only to believe. Faith is granted to us by God. But what else has God granted to us? What has he gifted to us? To suffer. To suffer the opposition of our enemies. And what are our enemies? Satan, the world, even our own flesh is against us. Our sinful nature is still there within us. And these are formidable enemies. Satan, the world, our own flesh. Will they attack? Yes, they will. All you have to do is be a Christian for a small amount of time and you will see the attacks start coming. And sometimes they come all together. Satan uses the world and your flesh sides with them and they all come against you. You will suffer. It has been granted to you not only to believe but also to suffer. And what will happen if you are away from other Christians? If you say, I'm best on my own, you'll panic. You'll flee from Christ and his word. And the enemy will start to think they're going to win. That the eternal destruction that's prophesied in the scriptures, that's never going to happen. And you, you will start to lose assurance that you will be saved and that by God. You see this today. You see it again and again. The enemy loves to startle Christians. They love to startle us with same-sex marriage, transgenderism, theological differences, It's terrible to say that the enemy even loves to startle Christians today with government restrictions on COVID. Everyone gets startled and starts to disband and run away rather than standing as one man united contending for the faith. So what should we do? Well, we should join a local church, a little heavenly colony, and be a good citizen within that colony. Experience the unity that comes. And when should we do that? Well, the Apostle Paul tells us when. Verse 27. Go back with me to the beginning of verse 27. What does he open the verse with? Whatever happens. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Means whether you're experiencing opposition, join a local church. If you're experiencing peacetime, great, join a local church. Be a part of a little colony of heaven and be a good citizen in that. And what will happen? Well, when someone asks you about the Trinity, someone asks you about hell, Satan, same-sex marriage, and these are scary things. It's not nice to have someone say to you in an angry tone, do you really believe that same-sex marriage shouldn't be allowed in our country? Your heart starts to beat a little faster. It's a scary thing. But if you're part of a little colony of other Christians who are united with you, you know they also hold it, and they've got your back, you can ask them for prayer for you. You can ask them for some sort of material that can help you to be firm on such an issue. And so you will stand firm, unified with the rest of God's people. So how are you going in your battle? Going in your battle as a citizen of the heavenly kingdom? You will have to fight. It's just a matter of whether you are going to fight as a good citizen or not. Are you going to stand firm and contend, fight alongside others or battle alone? Are you going to be easily frightened like a startled horse or a child who's seen a bee or a spider? Ah, Run away. Is that going to be you? 
at the first sign of hostility? Are you going to make an en the enemy realize that they're going to be destroyed one day and hopefully switch sides and come over to the winning side? Or are you going to give the enemy a false assurance that Christianity is not true? Are you going to have a joyful assurance that you will be saved and that by God? Or are you going to painfully wrestle with doubts about your salvation on your own? So, have you joined a local church, a heavenly colony? Otherwise, what? You may fall hard. You may fall very hard. Think about it. These verses before us today have no relevance to you if you're not part of a local church. They're written to a local church. They're written to people to stand firm in one spirit. How do you stand firm in one spirit if you don't know about anybody else in the kingdom? You can't stand firm with them. Contending side by side is how it literally is translated. Side by side. How do you contend side by side if you don't know anyone else to stand side by side with them? I'm so thankful for the great citizens of God's kingdom who are here at Des Moines Baptist Church, that we have banded together for years now as we've met opposition coming against us, opposition from Satan, from the world, and even from our own flesh. But we've been able to unite together, and I've experienced the benefit myself. I mean, the pastor's meant to be the one who doesn't need any, anyone else to help him, does he? But he does. He's got his own flesh. The enemy is a terrible enemy, Satan, he needs the help. I need the help. And I've been so thankful for the local church here at Des Moines Baptist who has contended with me side by side in the battles that I personally have faced as well as the battles that we have faced as a church. So how are you going in your battle as a citizen of the heavenly kingdom? But I want to be clear here at the end as I close that I don't want you to live as a citizen of heaven in order to become a citizen of heaven. Think about how do you become an Australian citizen? Is it by living as one? By living according to Australian laws, you automatically become a citizen of Australia? No. How do you become a citizen of Australia? It's by the government recognising you as one, whether by birth or some sort of naturalisation. That's how you become a citizen of Australia. How do you become a citizen of heaven? By living as a Christian? By keeping the Christian rules? Is that how you become a citizen of heaven? No. It's by the Father, Son, and Spirit making you one. It's God who gives heavenly citizenship. Joining a church doesn't make you a Christian. Joining a Christian church does not make you a Christian. It does give you an assurance that you are saved, but it does not make you a Christian. There are many people who've lived in a colony all their lives, but have never actually been a citizen of the empire. And it's the same with the local church. There are many people who've lived in a local church all their entire life, and they've never actually been. They may have joined, they may even be a deacon or an elder of the church but they've never actually been a citizen of heaven. Why? Because it's God who makes them a citizen of heaven. And so I want to be very clear this morning that living as a citizen, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel, doesn't make you a citizen. How does God make us citizens then? 
How does God make us citizens? Well, it's by Christ paying for our rebellion, for our rebellion against him, for rebelling against the heavenly empire. And that's how we are born. We are born in sin, as rebels against the conquering nation, which is heaven with the King of kings and Lord of lords. But then God, he welcomes us to become a part of his kingdom through Jesus Christ's work. Christ pays the price for us to come in. What is that price? It's his death at the cross. It's not a fee. I'm not sure what the price is to become a citizen of Australia if you're not born one. I'm sure there is a fee. I'm sure to be naturalised, to become an Australian citizen, the government would have to charge you something. There's a price to become a citizen. It's not your works. It's Christ's work. It's his death at the cross. Because it's our death that we owe for our rebellion against heaven. And so it's Jesus who comes and makes us a citizen. And all we can do is beg for mercy. If you doubt your citizenship of heaven in any way, beg God for mercy now. Beg that you can be a citizen and trust that Jesus Christ died in your place at the cross. And then conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Be a good citizen. Be baptised. Celebrate the Lord's Supper. Hear the word preached. Pray. Encourage others. Give, vote for the advancement of God's kingdom and joyfully sing, joyfully sing that old hymn by Bering Gould, which is printed in your bulletins and we're going to hear in a moment. Open up your bulletins to the third page. Onward, Christian soldiers. If you've been born again and are a citizen of heaven, and you come and you're baptised and love the Lord's Supper and you hear God's word preached and you pray and you encourage others and you give and you vote, I encourage you also to sing a hymn like this. I'll read it out now. Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war. With the cross of Jesus going on before, Christ the royal master leads against the foe. Forward into battle, see his banner go. Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war, with the cross of Jesus going on before. At the sign of triumph, Satan's host doth flee. On then, Christian soldiers, on to victory. Hell's foundations quiver at the shout of praise. Brothers, lift your voices, loud your anthems raise. Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war, with the cross of Jesus going on before. Like a mighty army moves the church of God. Brothers, we are treading where the saints have trod. We are not divided. All one body we, one in hope and doctrine, one in charity. Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war, with the cross of Jesus going on before. Onward, then, ye people, join our happy throng. Blend with ours your voices in the triumph song. Glory, Lord, and honour unto Christ the King. This through countless ages men and angels sing. Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war, with the cross of Jesus going on before. Crowns and thrones may perish. Kingdoms rise and wane. But the church of Jesus constant will remain. Gates of hell can never against the church prevail. 
We have Christ's own promise, and that cannot fail. Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war, with the cross of Jesus going on before. What the saints established, that I hold for true. What the saints believed, that I believe too. Long as earth endureth, men the faith will hold, kingdoms, nations, empires, in destruction rolled. Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war, with the cross of Jesus going on before. Let's come to God in prayer. Let's speak to him. Heavenly Father, we thank you for making so many of us in this room citizens of your heavenly kingdom through Jesus Christ. It's not of us, but all of you. But Lord, we ask that you would help us to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, standing firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose us. So we are a sign to them that they will be destroyed and that we will be saved, and that by you. And Lord, we ask that if there is anyone here this morning who is not a citizen of heaven, oh Lord, we ask that you would grant them citizenship now, that you would save them by the precious blood of your son, Jesus Christ, and that they would join the heavenly throng in praising your name. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.